Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated. Hello and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland, where we are devoted to conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. I'm Dan Multhrop, Chief Executive here and a proud member, and it's March 19th. You're with another virtual City Club forum, though today we are live from the City Club itself. Big thanks again to our production partners at IdeaStream for helping us bring the forum back to the City Club. We don't have an audience here today, but we feel really great about being back in this room. It has been a little over one year since the COVID-19 pandemic entered Ohio. It was a year and one week ago, March 11th, 2020, that the World Health Organization declared COVID-19 a pandemic. A few days prior to that, Governor Mike DeWine declared a state of emergency in Ohio. And on March 23rd, the governor and health director, Amy Acton, issued the stay-at-home order. Non-essential businesses shut down, the economy slowed, much of daily life seemed to stand still. At the time, we were focused on flattening the curve. Remember that? <clears throat> and we did it back in April. Most of the nation did it. But the virus never left. There was a bump of cases in July, and then in November and December, an enormous surge. To date, nearly 1 million Ohioans have contracted COVID-19, and about 18,000 of our neighbors have died. Now, on March 19th, 2021, it is starting to feel as though we just might be at the beginning of the end of this pandemic. Vaccine distribution is accelerating, confirmed cases and positivity rates are declining, schools are returning to in-person learning, and some restrictions are being lifted. In fact, there's a mass vaccination site just down the street at the Wolstein Center on Cleveland State University's campus. They're administering up to 6,000 doses of vaccine every day. Beginning on March 29th, anyone over the age of 16 will be eligible to receive a vaccine as the state supply is expected to increase to a half a million doses per week. Today at the City Club, we are joined by Ohio Governor Mike DeWine. In these last 12 months, no single person has been more important to our daily lives than Governor DeWine. He's joining us to look back at the last year and look ahead to the hard work of recovery. Governor DeWine, who has been fully vaccinated, will be interviewed by someone else who has also been fully vaccinated, retired journalist and City Club member Tom Barris. You may remember him from the 43 years he spent covering Ohio and Cleveland politics. He has moderated debates between senatorial and Cleveland mayoral candidates. He's won five regional Emmy Awards and was inducted into the Cleveland Press Club Hall of Fame. And he retired in 2016 from WKYC Channel 3. If you have questions for Governor DeWine, please text them to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. And you can also tweet them at the City Club. We will do our best to work them into the second half of the program. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, members and friends of the City Club of Cleveland, I give you Governor Mike DeWine and moderator Tom Barris. Thanks very much, Dan. Governor, good to see you. Good Welcome to, you, to the Tom. City Club. So you and President DeWine seem to be, excuse me, President DeWine, Freudian slip. You and President Biden seem to be very much on the same page in regard to looking at the 4th of July as a possible double celebration holiday, both of independence and increasing freedom from the pandemic. 
Uh, don't know whether you're a betting man, but what do you think is the likelihood of that coming to pass? Well, I think very good, Tom. Um, you know, what's driving this down is the vaccine. We've vaccinated now 2.6 million uh, Ohioans, and we're moving forward, and we feel pretty good about where mm -hmm. we are. Um, it's, we have to continue to wear the mask. mask up. Um, that's, this is defense. Uh, the offense is, is the vaccination. The only uh, kind of dark cloud out there, uh, frankly, is the, the variant that, you know, is, does, is spreading in, in Ohio. So that's the biggest wild card, That's you think? the biggest wild card. And something we've seen in the last several days, which is very concerning, is what's going on in Michigan and what's going on in West Virginia, two of our neighboring states. We've seen a really a significant increase in parts of Michigan. And that is... That's very that's genuine very concern. Genuine, genuine concern, and in a sense, Tom, we're in a we're kind of in a race. Uh, you know, how fast can we get this vaccine out? Uh, because the cycle of this has been ups and downs. We've seen the cycle; it's a not usually a 90-day, 120-day uh, cycle. So the cycle would indicate this is, should be coming back up. Uh, so far, we are still moving in the right direction but we're concerned. Okay. What kind of job uh, do you think uh, uh, President Biden's team is doing uh, getting a, a largely Republican state with a Republican governor and a Republican-controlled legislature uh, the vaccine and the help that it needs in a timely fashion? Well, we're one of a, a handful of states so far that have been awarded the, the mass vaccination site. Uh, they came to us uh, a number of weeks ago and said, we want to put one in Ohio. We started talking with them, uh, came to the conclusion that really the logical place was in Cleveland and ended up uh, at Cleveland State. We think the Wolstein Center is a great site for this. Mm -hmm. So we're very fortunate. Yes. Uh, our first question, Tom, was a kind of a practical one. Uh, with this site, does that come with vac extra vaccine? And the answer was yes. So. You know, uh, 6,000 uh, doses. Well, today we're up to six, should be up to about 6,000 a day. Uh, this is something that's going to run for eight weeks. So this is a significant boost for us in Ohio. It's, so extra, it's extra vaccine that we're getting. So that's a big plus. Democrat, Republican notwithstanding, what kind of grade would you give uh, President Biden's team for having their act together? Look, I think they've done a good job. Um, look, I, I think the... Trump administration, we had a very good relationship with them. Uh, the vice president, Vice President Pence, uh, we talked with him every single week, got all the governors mm -hmm. did. Uh, that was a good relationship. Whenever I asked the White House to do something, they, they tried to do it. Many times they were able to do it. The same way with the Biden White House uh, and the Biden administration. They started reaching out to us uh, long before the president took office on January 20th. They wanted to listen. They wanted to hear what we had to say, what we saw is our problem. So it's, it's been great. Does restore confidence that maybe government can handle a big, uh, a big challenge? You know, t Tom, this is, <laughs> this is an area where politics just shouldn't have anything to do with this. I mean, we should follow the science. We all have a job to do. And I think everyone mm -hmm. gets it. Uh, the Trump administration did a good job in, in, in okay. working so the development of the vaccine uh, Biden team has done a good job getting it out. We work with them literally every day. So it's been a good relationship. Okay. What we're seeing at the Wolstein Center right now um, has been, I think, something that's worked out exceedingly well. Uh, you know, you have FEMA in from the federal government. 
You also have uh, regular troops in. Uh, we have our National Guard uh, involved. Our team is involved. The local community has been great. It's good to see a collaboration. It's between a real all collaboration, and it's working. The most consistent criticism of your uh, vaccine plan, I think, has been that it lacked a central, simple registration system. Instead, you had that frustrating vaccine roulette with everybody trying to yeah. get online and check every drugstore and every grocery store and every health center. And we all know what, what a chaotic situation that was. And even the new uh, statewide central portal, a lot of people say, well, it's just a glorified address book. Do you deserve all the flack that you've been getting on this? And why didn't you go to a central registration system like other states have? Yeah, well, we first looked at this, Tom, and just see what was out there on the market as far as a central registration system. Our team looked at it and came to the conclusion uh, that the ones that were out there on the market were very iffy and they might not work very well. Uh, we've seen other states that have tried those and they have not worked very well. So we decided to try to build, build our own. Uh, we, we have built our own, um, building it as we go. And we now have a number of the providers. We have a uh, number of providers out there who have signed up for it. It's not perfect. Okay. But, but you agree you, there's a lot to be desired here. There is, but this is not a perfect world we're living in. And many states, uh, you know, we've been criticized. Uh, many states, uh, people said, why didn't you come up with a mass vaccination site initially? And the answer is, this is Ohio. Uh, this is a different state. We have seven different major media markets in the state of Ohio. We have 88 separate counties. So what we decided... The landscape to, is different. What we decided to do is to build a system from the ground up we started with 700 sites, so everybody in every county, no matter where you live, you had sites that you could go to. You didn't have to drive an hour to, to do that. We then took that up to 1250, now we're at 1300, now we're layer, layering over the top of that, now that we have more vaccine, uh, these mass vaccination sites, not just in Cleveland, but we're doing some state vaccination sites, another 15 around the state. So the experience, Tom, you're right, the experience has been difficult for some people, uh, who can't navigate the internet? It's been difficult for people. They've had to go different places. But once they get the, once they get the registration, once they get it scheduled, uh, people's experiences have been, I think, very, very good. And we avoided what we saw in some other states where people were lined up for six, seven, eight hours at a time in the heat or in the in the cold. So not a perfect system, but it's a unique Ohio system. Um, and I wish, you know, look, I wish we could have flipped a switch on day one and gone into a central system, but that was, that was simply not available. Early on, it was apparent that uh, minority groups were not getting their fair share or rightful share of the vaccine. Is there more equity now? Uh, what have you done to make sure that blacks, Hispanics, Native Americans are getting uh, the vaccine in the quantities they should? Yeah. It's an ongoing process. We're working very, very closely with the mayors. We're working very closely with the local community. Uh, now, just... It, tell you what we've done in, in Cleveland and Cuyahoga County. Um, you know, with this mass vaccination site, we have set aside uh, several thousand doses every single day and provided access codes basically to about 60 different organizations in the community. Uh, Urban League, for example, uh, NAACP. Uh, we're working with African American churches and the goal has been to get their members, uh, minority population, 
underserved population. We look at this by zip code too, and so we know where the underserved populations are, and to give them access every day. And so they can fill that mm -hmm. up to that amount, and it's again, it's a work in progress. I think it's, it's getting better. We've also looked at other, other ways of, of doing this. We have some, uh, we've gone into, uh, you know, basically virtually every community uh, with drugstores where people will have the opportunity in that community to go. As I said, we have over 1,300 sites. We've made a lot of headway. Tom, we've made headway, but it's a work in progress. Right. I mean, look, it, and, and, and it really, what, what I believe is communities are really coming together in the state, and we're working directly with mayors, we're working directly with county commissioners, we're working directly with nonprofits, because they're the ones who have the ability to penetrate uh, into the community and make sure that there's no one left behind. If you're just joining us, uh, you're with the City Club Friday Forum. I'm Tom Beerus with uh, Governor Mike DeWine. If you have questions for Governor DeWine, text them to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. You can also tweet them to at the City Club, and we will try to get them in the second half hour. All right, hindsight being 2020. Uh, what would you have done differently uh, if you knew then what you know now in battling the pandemic? Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, it's probably almost every day that I tell my team uh, kind of jokingly, you know, look, the next pandemic will do this differently or the next pandemic will know, you know, what, what to do. Uh, Tom, I think that we've learned a lot uh, over the last year. Probably the biggest thing that we have learned, not just us, but everyone, uh, is the power of these masks. Um, you know, they've been phenomenally successful. We did not know that. I don't think the medical science didn't really know that at the beginning of this pandemic. I'll give you an example, uh, schools. We have gone for some schools uh, that have been in school. We have 600 some school districts in the state. Some of them have been in school the entire time, physically five days a week. And we, we made a decision uh, last August, that every kid would have to wear a mask. Uh, we said K through 12. Uh, you know, we, we caught a bunch of hell for it. People <laughs> said kids won't wear a mask, they can't wear a mask. And we said, no, look, the evidence is they can wear a mask, they will wear a mask, and this is the way we stop the spread. So what we, what we started learning is that in the classroom itself, we were not seeing much spread at all. And here's how we, we knew this. When someone came down with the COVID, and usually they were bringing it from home, and a kid, let's say a kid, in, let's say Sally in class has got COVID, and Johnny's over here, and he's within six feet from her in a classroom, um, and they're all wearing masks. Well, the CDC said, okay, you've got to isolate, you've got to isolate those kids, any kid who's within six feet, even though, even though they're wearing masks. So we implemented, that's what we told schools to do. After a month or two, a school started calling me and saying, look, no one's getting sick. These kids are not getting sick. We're, we're taking them out of class for a couple weeks, but they never get sick. So what we did is we actually did a, a trial, did a test. We went into seven different schools, tested. What we found, Tom, was those teachers, those principals were absolutely right. It was not spreading, even though they were within six feet, even though they're sitting there an hour, sometimes six hours a day. So the power of these masks is something that we know today that we did not know before. 
Are there things you wanted to do but thought better of and didn't do because you were worried about political pushback? Yeah, I mean, I don't know, if, Tom, if I describe it as political pushback. What I would describe it as public acceptance. Uh, you know, we had to bring people along. We can only take people as, as far as they're willing to come because all of our orders, uh, you know, virtually depend on self-policing and they defend, depend on people actually being willing to do it. So we looked at this uh, at some point and said, okay, um, businesses going back in, retail businesses, should they wear masks? And we thought, yeah, that's a great idea. Uh, but it became apparent to me very quickly that we were not ready for this. The state was simply not ready for it. We recommended masks, but to actually mandate masks at that time um, seemed like, uh, I think I described it at the time as a bridge, a bridge too far. We got further into it, and we, we were seeing more spread, and at some point we put on a mask order, uh, and we put on originally in our urban counties that were having the most spread, then we spread out to all 88 counties. But what Ohio has done differently, and the reason this is working in Ohio compared to other states, and we are now still running about 93%, no matter what, wherever you go in the state of Ohio, uh, on average, 93% of the people who are in retail, not the people who are working there, they have them, but the people who go there are wearing masks. And the way we've done that is we have literally taken workers' compensation employees mm -hmm. out to check on this uh, every, every single day. So we've kept it up around 93%. It's been one of the main reasons, I think, that we've kept the spread down. Let's switch to uh, the big bundle of money coming Ohio's way uh, under the president's uh, recovery plan. Uh, five and a half billion dollars, roughly. I mean, will that make Ohio whole financially for all of its losses uh, during the pandemic? Well, it's a, it's a lot of money for Ohio. It's a lot of money for the counties. Townships were left out, which is, we have some big townships who are not gonna get anything under, under this. Uh, but a lot of money coming into the state of Ohio, a lot of money coming to our schools uh, as well, which is going to be, an, I think, a real opportunity for schools to, and for local communities and for the state to look at this and say, how do we catch kids back up? Because we have some schools, our urban schools primarily, that have been, kids have been out of school, we're out of school for 11 months. And one of the reasons we said they all need to get back into school was just that great concern. So how do we catch kids up is something that is a, a very legit uh, debate that we're, we're going to have to have I know Ohio. that you've required the schools to come up with a plan for how are you going to help the kids who maybe fell behind with uh, lacking actual time in the classroom. Should a lot of uh, uh, students expect to be in school this summer? I think it's a discussion that, yes, has to take place with the schools. They, these kids have to get caught up somehow. Uh, some kids, Tom, do very well uh, remotely. Some thrive on it, frankly. But there's a lot of kids out there who don't do that well remotely. And they have been behind. And how do I know that? Because I talk to parents and I talk to teachers and I talk to, talk to educators. So when you look at the money coming into Ohio, uh, I think that in answer to your question, how the schools spend the money and how this is spent to get our kids caught back up is probably the most important thing. I think another way of looking at the rest of the money, Tom, is it's one-time money. 
And so we should not create more bureaucracy. Okay. We should not create more employees. What we ought to do is take that money, one-time money, mm -hmm. spend it in a one-time way. Uh -huh. For example, infrastructure. Um, you know, we can vastly improve our infrastructure. And an infrastructure would in certainly include broadband. Uh, it's something in the budget that we've already presented to the General Assembly. We've got uh, a lot of people in this state who are denied full ability to participate in the state uh, because they don't, they don't have okay. you know, that, that facility and that ability to do it. Uh, I was with the mayor, if I just, I don't want to go on too long, but I was with the with mayor of East Cleveland six months ago. So. And he was taking me, we were looking at a, at a problem in regard to, to ODOT and some things, and he, they wanted me to look at it, and I did. But he brought up the fact that the broadband stops literally at the city of, of East Cleveland. And so Lieutenant Governor, Lieutenant Governor Houston, and the mayor. And Fairly I, obvious what we, needs to be we, done. We know what needs to be done. So this so. one-time money, we got to spend on one-time problems. If you were in the Senate, would you have voted for the president's package? No, probably not. Uh, I, I wish that it would have been a bipartisan bill. I think when we're dealing with things like this, it, it is better for the country if we can pull people together and, and to... So you think there's a lot of money in there throwing at uh, issues and problems that maybe aren't appropriate? I, I for think this. we would all have been better off with, with a, a, bi a bipartisan bill. Um, you know, I think some of, the, some of the parts of it I certainly would have agreed to. But I'll be candid with you. Uh, I'm no longer in the Senate. I'm not studying those bills every day. No. I'm not living, living it every day. I'm focused on what we're doing in Ohio. Okay, just asking for a visceral reaction there. So, um, the state is now partnering with the Cleveland Clinic and universities and hospitals here to create the new innovation district for uh, health and pathogen research. Does this seem to be like the right project at the right time that... Uh, could have a, a oh, yeah. massive impact here yeah. in Northeast Ohio? Tom, I can't tell you how excited we are about this. This is a real partnership. I mean, think about it. how long have we said uh, that if we could just if we get the Cleveland Clinic to work together uh, with UH and Metro uh, and Case and Cleveland State, if we get everybody to work together, uh, we could do so much. This is an example of all five of those institutions coming together. Money comes, significant amount of money kind of coming in from Jobs Ohio, significant amount of money coming in uh, from the state of Ohio, a lot of money coming in from these different institutions. I mean, just to take one part of it, um, something the Cleveland Clinic is taking the lead on, in, but the other ones will be involved in, and that's a worldwide pathogen study research. I mean, this is right center. in the wheelhouse of right needs to be done now. A a absolutely. And you're building on, I've always felt, if you can build on the resources that you already have, the expertise you already have, and build from there on, it's, it's a great thing. So we're excited about that. We're not only doing something in Cleveland, we have, we have one of the innovation districts in Cincinnati, yeah. we have one in Columbus as well, and it's very exciting. Politics. Um, Yesterday, you announced the uh, election dates for the 11th district congressional uh, election to replace Congresswoman Fudge. Uh, the dates that you announced means that the people in that district uh, are going to have a vacant seat, no representation for 229 days. Is that acceptable? Much too long. Much too long. Uh, you know, we consulted with the Secretary of State, Frank LaRose, and, you know, he explained and they, his staff explained all the lead up that you need. You know, first of all, you got to set a date where people can can take out the petitions, and you got to walk through all the way through there. And then, towards the end, you've got to have enough time for people overseas for those ballots to be sent out overseas. So when you looked at all that, uh, they came back and made the, the recommendation of the two dates that I came up with. 
I went back to them and said, okay, can't we figure out some way to get this election uh, done sooner? The people of that district deserve to have a member of Congress. So this was the best of some lousy it, options. It was the best of, of, of bad options. Question for you um, regarding uh, former President Trump. Have you spoken with him at all since January 6th? No, I've spoken with the Vice President, Vice President Pence, spoke to him just a few days ago, but I've not spoken to the President. Uh, not that it seems likely, given the way things are, seem to be evolving here, but if you, if, if you were, uh, had the possibility of getting former President Trump's endorsement uh, in your re-election, would you be interested in that? Well, sure. Sure. No second thoughts at all? No. Look, look uh, my, my experience has been, and you've covered politics for a few years, uh, that endorsements are interesting, uh, but ultimately uh, people make a decision who they want to be their governor or their senator, and um, I'm not sure endorsements play such a huge role. But you, in your mind, his role in whatever transpired, the, uh, the march and the, uh, the, the riot to the Capitol, uh, that is not uh, so overwhelming that, that you would want to distance yourself Look, no, from him? No, no one was happy with that day. It was one of the saddest days, saddest things I've ever seen. As someone who served in Congress for 20 years and served in that building for 20 years. It was a, it was a horrible, horrible day, and he should have done more. To pull Do you agree back. with those Ohio Republicans who think that my congressman, uh, Anthony Gonzalez, deserves to lose his job for uh, voting to impeach President Trump? No. Because? He was voting his conscience. You know, he made that call. That was his decision. I think he's been a good member of Congress. Um, no, he should, yeah. he should not resign. You, you may get a tougher fight from Republicans in your re-election campaign. By the way, you are running for re-election. Yes, correct? I am. Okay. Uh, you have a situation now where the, the people running for Senate are trying to out-Trump each other, and you're being called every name in the book by some people. I mean, what kind of recipe is that for the party in 2022 where there's no unity and it's a crossfire with uh, you know, people at the top of the ticket shooting at each other? What, what do you see happening if that plays out? Look, this is, this is the political season. They're running in a primary. Uh, you know, one, one particular member has decided that, uh, one person running has decided that he wants to, you know, act like he's running against me. But look, it's, you know, it's, it's okay. It's, it doesn't it's bother you being called squishy. No, look, I've been called, Tom, I've been called so many things in my career, and I've been called so many things. That's worse than that. Particularly in the last year. So, look, it's, it's politics. My focus has got to stay on Ohio and, and getting us through this pandemic and moving on. Ohio jobs for automakers very much in the news lately. A story uh, about uh, Ford apparently reneging on a, a deal with the Avon. United Auto Workers uh, up in Avon. What Avon, are you going to do right. about that? How are you going to try to intervene? Yeah, we, we've been talking with Ford. Uh, about that. Uh, they have assured us that um, the future of Ford, as far as in Ohio, is, is very good, uh, that, that the jobs that are there now are not in jeopardy in any way, shape, or form. Uh, what we're talking to them about is their future plans in Ohio and what they want to do, and they've assured us that they, we will be part of that and we'll stay part of that discussion. So if that, that's, if, that's my job as governor, to continue that, that deal, relationship. If that deal does not come to pass, was there any state incentives in there that could be at risk or seek a rollback on? Well, I'm not, I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, that's, we've got no indication from Ford that that's going to happen at all. Uh, so, you know, we look, we look, Tom, we look to the future. Uh, uh -huh. Ford has been a good partner. 
uh, Ford's important for the future of the state of Ohio. And, you know, once we saw the, the stories, you know, we continued to stay in touch with Ford. And the Lieutenant Governor, in fact, reached out uh, two days ago uh, at, my, at my request to have conversation with them. Um, the House Bill 6 first energy uh, picture just got a lot darker this week with the apparent suicide of lobbyist Neil Clark, one of those who was charged in all of this. The uh, legislature seems to be dithering on whether what they're going to do or not do with House Bill 6. Uh, are you going to intervene here and try to get something done? I think the legislature is going to pass a bill, um, and I think that's, that's important. My position has been consistent going back to the campaign and even, even before. Uh, that nuclear energy should be a part of the mix in Ohio. Um, our position has been kind of all of the above. We want all, all different forms of energy. Uh, we cannot uh, it currently, currently with the ability to, of wind and solar, although they're moving up, um, carbon-free energy production in Ohio, 90% of it depends on having nuclear energy in the state of Ohio. So we need to keep those plants going. Uh, those are significant jobs. So, Recent daily, Dayton Daily News story traced uh, more than a million dollars that came from First Energy that went to an assortment of organizations' campaigns helping your re-election campaign. Um, the, the dots here could all be connected in a way that's not terribly flattering for you in some respects. Do you have any, uh, any thoughts about your association with uh, First Energy? Have you been too cozy with them? Tom, my position on nuclear energy has nothing to do with any campaign contributions. Uh, I can take you back to speeches I gave in the, in the Congress uh, in support of nuclear energy. So this was a well-stated position during the campaign. Uh, Richard Cordray had a similar position uh, in favor of our nuclear plants here in Ohio. So we've been very, very consistent uh, in, in, that, yeah. in that position. There are calls now to have more... Uh, uh, regulation dealing with so-called dark money to have more transparency on lobbyist activities. What do you think needs to be done yeah, in I these think, areas? Tom, I think the more transparency, the more light you can shed on things, the better. So uh, we, we, okay. do, we do, as we <clears throat> propose any legislation, the United States Supreme Court, as you know, has <laughs> been created the situation. And they've created the situation and we have to follow. I mean, we live in a country of rule of law and we have to follow basically the outline by the United States Supreme Court. So we couldn't pass a bill that would violate that. But I'm always for open disclosure and that's very important. Okay. Final question back to the pandemic. Uh, for a year you've been making decisions every single day that had life or death implications depended whether or not certain uh, companies, businesses survived, whether workers had their jobs. <clears throat> what kind of toll has that stress and that pressure taken on you personally? Well, I, I, you know, I have a great spouse. I have a great wife, Fran. And, we know uh, that. She's, yeah. uh, <laughs> she's uh, been the rock throughout this. And, uh, you know, it would have been very difficult for me to do this, frankly, w without her. Um, I, I think... You know, you run for office, Tom, because you want to make decisions. You run for office because you think that you have something to contribute. Uh, none of us knew when I ran for office that we would be dealing with this once in a hundred year pandemic. Uh, we've had to make a, I've had to make a lot of different decisions. Uh, I think what's different, candidly, about the pandemic decisions that you're making um, is that every day the decisions you make are 
in a sense, life and death decisions. You know, you're making decisions, who's going to get vaccinated, how are you going to do that, and if you do it the wrong way, you know, maybe somebody dies as a result of that and more people do. So all these decisions, you know, directly impact people's lives more than, more than a lifetime. You know, in the last year, we've had more decisions, I've made more decisions impacting people's lives than I have probably in, in, a, in a whole lifetime. So yeah, there's a lot of pressure on that, but uh, you know, that's, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. All right, now the favorite time, uh, uh, open season here from uh, questions from the audience. Yeah, Tom, let me, let me can I, okay. can I add, one, add one more thing? Oh, one more thing. Uh, you're about to get back to First Energy, if I might. Okay. You, 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 have an appoint, you have to appoint somebody to run the PUCO pretty soon. Are you close to? Yes. Yes, we're ready to make an announcement uh, that will be former Judge uh, Jennifer French. Uh, we will name her today uh, to the PUCO, and I will name her as the chair. So she will become the chair. Uh, and let me just explain a little bit, if I could, uh, about her. Um, what I have found in talking to people who have gone before her, people who know her, uh, a very smart judge, someone who has a reputation for studying the facts, taking very complex set of facts, digging through that to come to a just yeah. resolution. Okay. And, and that's, what, person, I'm, and that's what I'm looking for. Okay. And uh, she would not be vulnerable to people who say, well, she's in First Energy's no, she, pocket. She, she, has, she has no background in the okay. industry, period, which I think right. in this unique point in time is a real asset. All right, questions from the audience. What do you anticipate the date the state will open for major outside events like concerts, fairs, and even theaters like Playhouse Square? I think it's gonna be a very good summer. I think it's gonna be a good spring. Uh, I told the Indians, for example, 30% uh, to start, but I can see as we move into the season further, those numbers should certainly, certainly go up. Um, the reason we can do that is because of the vaccine and because people have continued to wear their mask. Mm -hmm. And you know, we will get to the point, uh, we've set a, a, a target of, of 50 cases per 100,000 for, for a two week period of time. It's a standard measurement. Um, and we are going to that, we're moving to that. And when we get to that point, we will take off all health orders. And that's within sight in the binoculars, you think? Yeah, I mean, it's in sight, and it's a, but Tom, look, it's a race. I mean, again, as we said, we have this variant out here. We've see, we're seeing what's going on in Michigan. We're seeing what's going on in West Virginia. Uh, that's really what our, our, our big concern is. And so the faster we can get a vaccine in people's arms, the faster we're gonna be able to get out of this and to get back to normal. So if I could make one, one plea today, uh, when it's your turn to get the vaccine, when it's your turn to get the vaccine, Please take it. Grab it. Because we can, this is not only important for you, but it's also very important for, for all of us. We are truly, in regard to that, all in this together. Because reaching that herd immunity, reaching that point where we're driving this virus down so it can't go from one person, there's no people for it to go back and forth to, um, is really the key. How can you justify your proposed budget is seeking to spend $50 million on an advertising campaign to try to get uh, people from other states to move to Ohio when there are so many businesses and causes here that uh, could use the money? Uh, 
reference here to the deep cuts in public transit. Wouldn't you be better off spending it yeah. on the established first, first companies all, and residents that have real problems here? Yeah, first of all, uh, we've proposed to the General Assembly uh, a very significant bill, uh, investment in Ohio, separate and apart from the question, $1 billion. Uh, it's one-time money. We're not going to have it again. Uh, but what we've said is basically half of that money is going to go to cities like Mansfield, like Lima, uh, some of our urban areas to give them the ability to take Brownfield area and to open it up for, for development and to create jobs. Second part of that bill, the, about the other half of that bill, that half a billion dollars, uh, is going to go directly back to Ohioans, to Ohio businesses and others who have been hurt, hurt by this pandemic. Fifty million out of that is what we've set aside and said we want to promote Ohio. I think it's very. We have Tom. Uh, you, you've lived here a long, long time. Whole life. Both, whole life. You and I both lived our whole lives. Uh, we're Ohioans. We don't brag a whole lot, but this is the greatest place I think in the world to live. The quality of life, the cost of living. Uh, I think it's just a wonderful place to live. We want to share that. And for us to move forward, we have to grow. We have to have more people in Ohio. Um, our, our population has been fairly flat now for 50, 60 years. Uh, we want to attract the best and brightest people to come into Ohio because they will be the ones that will create more jobs. And I'll give you one, one example. Uh, we are a net importer of college students. If we could keep 10% more or 5% more of the college students who come into Ohio, um, and we're, we're working to try to do that, they will give more vibrancy to the state, create more jobs, and, and, and push us down the road. So set, telling our stories, Midwesterners were, were kind of shy. We don't brag about Ohio. We got a lot to brag about, and we want to do that to attract businesses to come in here and to attract the most creative people that we can find. But what kind of results would that have to deliver for you to consider it money well spent? Yeah. A fixed number of people moving here, uh, just general buzz about the, the, yeah, look, the look, virtues look, of Ohio? Look, if we can get people to understand what Ohio is like, um, we're going to have more people moving here and people who are really people who will do things get things done. I'll tell you a story. I know you've, you've, you've heard this, this same experience that I have. You talk to multinational companies who are in Cleveland or Cincinnati or, or Columbus or Toledo, and you talk to them and you say, okay, you know, how's, how is it when you bring people in here? And what they'll usually say to you is, I, want tr I was trying to transfer this guy in. He didn't want to come. He said, I don't want to come to Cleveland. I don't want to come to Cincinnati. I don't want to come to Ohio. We got him in here, and we couldn't get rid of him. He said, we, you know, he wants to stay. People want to stay when they get into Ohio and they see what we have. Gun control question. Why did you sign Ohio's Stand Your Ground law instead of pushing harder for the common sense gun reforms that you proposed after the mass shootings in Dayton? Uh, is that... Uh, is that plan, uh, are, you, are you throwing in the towel on that plan? No, not, absolutely not throwing in the towel at all. Um, we have a proposal uh, in front of the General Assembly uh, that will absolutely save lives. Uh, there's no, no doubt about it. And I'll just give you a, a couple, Tom, a couple of examples. Um, violent repeat offenders 
uh, wrecking havoc in our cities across the state of Ohio. Uh, when you talk to chiefs of police, when you talk to mayors, Democrat, Republican, doesn't matter. One of the things that they tell you is there's a small number of people in the community. And if we could, we could target them, go after them when they commit a crime, get them out of here, we will save a lot of lives. Uh, our bill would do that. Uh, the bill provides that someone who has a gun um, and when you, when, you when you are convicted of a violent offense in Ohio, you no longer can own a gun. Uh, yet we're still finding people who are, who are in the communities who have these guns and the ability to segregate them out, get them out from us, will save an awful lot of lives. Another example um, is outstanding criminal warrants. Um, somebody commits a crime in Cleveland, someone commits a crime in Cincinnati, uh, and it's a serious crime, that should go into a national database. It doesn't many times today. So requiring that to go into a national database is another thing that we can do and that we should do and that our bill does. People so it, who are in support of your package, though, I think agree with the merits yeah. and the... Uh, uh, the positives of everything it could do, but they don't, they don't seem to see much, uh, much possibility of a path of getting it through uh, the, uh, the current I'm, cast I'm, of characters in the legislature. I'm, I'm still optimistic, and we're still pushing it, and we will continue to push it. So is, is, is it your goal to get that done by the end of the first term? Look, it's my, it's my goal to get it done, Absol absolutely. Why do you prefer... This is the choice of language in the questioner here. Why do you prefer to use the rainy day fund as a slush fund and self, instead of helping Ohioans dealing with the pandemic? Well, we're not using it as a slush fund. Uh, we've not taken any money out of it at all. Uh, we thought we were going to have to. Uh, what happened, Tom, was the federal government came in uh, and they're paying a significant amount of the Medicaid funding. Uh, and that will, Tom, though, run out on December 31st. So the money that we were going to take out because of the pandemic uh, out of the rainy day fund, we've not had to do that because the federal government stepped up and is paying more money in regard to Medicaid. But that will run out on the 31st of December. And so we have to continue to have that rainy day fund. And we certainly, um, if that occurs, we will tap into what next year. What kind of adjustments will the workforce development ecosystem need to make to support a post-COVID recovery? You know, I think the basic principles, Tom, are the same. Uh, and, you know, we believe that the most important thing is to make sure that every Ohioan has the ability to, to grow in whatever job they have. Every Ohioan has the ability to live up to their God-given potential. Uh, and so... Uh, job training, we have a unique job training plan that relies on businesses when they want to upscale someone's talents. Uh, we will pay for that, and what we're actually paying for is results. If they, if they get that certificate, and that certificate, by the way, for the employee has to be an industry-level certificate, which means that if they get laid off or if they want to change jobs, they can take that certificate with them. That's been something that's been very unique. The lieutenant governor has has spearheaded that for us, and it's a plan that works exceedingly well. So I think focusing on education, focusing on job training, and, and talking about education from a broad point of view, from the point of view of, of, of pre-K, K through 12, 
but also continuing education for workers during their lifetime. I'd like to just inject a question here, getting back to worker training and the automotive industry. General Motors announcement that it plans to go to all electric cars within 14 years. Thousands of Ohio auto workers are making parts and putting cars together that run on gasoline, worried about their jobs going, becoming obsolete. What's being done to anticipate that? Well, we've been working with General Motors. Um, as you know, you saw what happened. Uh, the battery plant uh, in the Lordstown area, that was very, very significant. So uh, you know, now making, uh, getting ready to make electric trucks over there. We find that to be very exciting as well. Tom, whenever you see a change, there's always change. And when you see an industry change, we have to, in Ohio, change with it. We have to be willing to work with those who are, who are looking to the future and looking at more electric as we move forward. Um, we, we just implemented uh, provision for more money out there for charging stations around the state of Ohio. Ohio needs to be the most friendly state for electric cars, battery charged cars, and that's what we're doing. Do you feel we have a leg up in any way on you know, yeah, other states I think that we, already yeah. have significant presence yeah, from the, I, I do. the big car makers? We already have a big presence. We have a good relationship with them. We already see what's happening in, in, in Lordstown. We're very happy about that. We have to build on that. As the state turns to recovery, the mental health of older adults who have been isolated at home will be of critical importance. Yet in the latest state budget proposal, there was no new funding specifically for seniors at home. Uh, Governor DeWine, you have said that you want to build the public health safety net. So what is the plan to invest state resources specifically for the well-being of Ohio's older adults? Yeah, there is specific money in there for our older, older citizens uh, in regard to uh, mental health. Uh, if you look at the budget for aging budget, uh, uh, Director McElroy uh, came to us with some very significant recommendations and we are funding those recommendations in the budget that we propose to the General Assembly. So there's that absolutely correct. Uh, you know, we're seeing, we're going to continue to see mental health problems. We're seeing it not only among the elderly who, who have been isolated, we're certainly seeing it among kids. One of the things, that, Tom, that we have done in our previous budget and in this budget is set aside a very significant amount of money in our schools uh, in regard to mental health, in regard to what we call the wrap, wraparound services, um, wellness dollars, so that schools have some flexibility, but they have to put that in, into the things that make sure that the child is actually ready to, to learn inside the classroom. So you think mental health issues are being properly addressed with the necessary it, funding? It, Tom, it's always a work in progress. Our, our budget significantly increases mental health funding, uh, but we have to continue to work on this. We gotta, we gotta, it's very, very important today. Republican Senate hopeful Josh Mandel is calling on you to lift all mask mandates and COVID restrictions. How do you convince the extreme right wing of your party that mass vaccination centers and the rapid expansion of eligibility to younger Ohioans uh, is a means to that end? Well, the science shows that it is. The facts show that it, it, it is. And, uh, you know, we're not going to convince everybody of that fact. But for anyone who really wants to get back to normal in Ohio, uh, which we everybody does, 
the safest, the fastest way to do it is to encourage more vaccinations and to continue to wear a mask until we get to that point where we are able to knock this virus down and we're going to get back to normal. I, look, Tom, I look, at, look for a summer of county fairs. I look for a summer of, of festivals in Cleveland and Cuyahoga County and this part of the state. And uh, I think it's going to get back yeah, to it's normal. Tantalizingly but close. We can, we're we close. can almost read out and touch it. Look, and, 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 and here's kind of my, my football analogy. We're on the four-yard line. The other guy's four-yard line. We're driving. Let's don't walk off the field with four yards to go. We're almost there. There's been a push by legislatures in other states for um, election, more restrictive election laws. What steps is Ohio taking to ensure there is election integrity and to make sure that issues of any possible irregularities do not take place? And, and my addendum question here, would you be in favor of the kinds of laws that are getting passed in other states uh, dealing with uh, shortening the number of days for uh, early voting, doing away with no excuse, uh, early voting, uh, uh, those kinds of ratcheting back of, uh, of measures now in place. Tom, I think we're doing very well in Ohio. Uh, we've had good secretaries of states, Democrat and Republican. Uh, our elections, as you know, are run by Democrats and Republicans all the way down to the, the county board and then down to the, the precinct level. When you go in there, there's Republicans sitting there, there's Democrats sitting there. Uh, we have expansive voting, uh, and we've done it for a long time. Four weeks, basically four weeks of, of voting uh, where you can go in, to, many of those days go into the Board of Elections and vote, or you can get a ballot and you don't have to give any reason for that ballot. So some of the irregularities that we've seen in other states, some of the great delays that we saw in this last last election. They don't occur in Ohio. Um, we're not perfect, but I think we run a very, very good election system. So your in Ohio. approach is that basically it's not broke, don't fix it. Is it. Not, it is not broken. It is working. You know, there's always possibilities of improving things. I'm not saying that, but I think it's a very good system that we have in Ohio, and we have people who know how to run it at the, at the local level. Obviously, a very personal question here from a health care worker. I would like Governor DeWine to explain to all health care workers why we couldn't get vaccinated for two months, why we were putting ourselves on the line, taking care of COVID patients, and yet we could not get vaccinated. Health care workers started to be vaccinated on the first day, the first day. Um, what we were trying to do, and let me just outline it quickly, we have, we, have, we have three goals. One is to protect our healthcare workers because they're protecting us. Two is to get our kids back in school. And so we vaccinated 200,000 teachers to get our kids back in school by March 1. And three, overriding everything, is to, is to protect lives. So on day one, we started with our healthcare workers, but we also started in our nursing homes and we started with those 80 years of age and older. Uh, it has worked well. We've taken deaths down uh, dramatically. Uh, we have, what we have seen in our nursing homes, for example, is we are at a fraction, a small fraction of the cases. And we go down every single week because we vaccinate, not only vaccinate everybody in the nursing homes, but we have continued to put vaccine in those nursing homes in, in, into the future. What our person who called that in may be referring to is we told the hospitals, for example, you can only vaccinate people you can't vaccinate a clerk. 
can't vaccinate someone who is not in direct contact with COVID patients. And frankly, what we saw happening in some cases was they, they were going beyond that. And so, you know, we, we told them to hold back, pull back a little bit. And so that may be what this person is, is referring to. But we have vaccinated, you know, tens of thousands of healthcare workers. And we started doing that the, the very first day. Look, no one could be more grateful than I am uh, to our healthcare workers for what they have done. They have, they have done a phenomenal job and with tremendous, tremendous emotional stress that it has to be on them day after day after day. So God bless them and we, I thank them. Can't say enough about you them. You cannot say enough about them. Do you support Ohio Attorney General Yost's lawsuit against the Recovery Act because it won't let states use the money for tax cuts? Yes, I think it needs to be clarified. Uh, I think it needs to be clarified. Uh, we're starting to get some guidance from the Treasury, uh, and we're, we're taking a look at that. But, you know, it's not, it was not, frankly, clear exactly did they really mean to tell a school district or did they mean to tell a county that they could not cut taxes? And I, I don't think that's what the federal government should be involved in. We're grateful for the money. Um, that's overreaching. I think that's overreaching if that's really what they were doing. Regarding the 50 cases per 100,000 goal, what consideration will be paid to, quote, probable cases as well as false positives? Look, this, we, we're simply following uh, what every other state is following, which is the CDC's recommendations of how to, how to count cases. Uh, th you know, throughout this epidemic, Tom, there have been skeptics who have said, you know, the numbers are wrong, they're made up. Look, we see the trends. The trends are clear. Uh, and we see, when we see cases going up, Tom, and a couple weeks after that, we see people going into hospital going up. So, you know, these, these numbers, nothing is perfect, but the trend lines are very, very clear. And so when we set it at 50, um, you know, we, have, we were at one point over 700. We're now at 145, roughly, and that's come down dramatically and continues to come down. So I'm optimistic um, that we'll be able to get that number down and we'll be able to get the health orders off. Should Representative Householder be expelled from his job? This is up to, this is up, first of all, it was up to the voters. Uh, they reelected him. Uh, now it is up to the... Well, they reelected him against virtually no Yes, that's true. Yes. No, no, I understand, but it still reelected him. But... Uh, this is a decision that I, I look at this decision as the House's decision and, and not my decision. This is a separate branch of government, and I'm not going to get into that discussion. I think we've, I think uh, we've hit the finish line here, uh, uh, Governor. I know you wanted to make some walk-off thoughts about an athletic event later today. Cleveland State. Uh, basketball tonight. It's good to have Cleveland State in. and. Uh, it's, uh, it's, go Vikings. It's, go Vikings. Yeah. You and I talked about that, and uh, it's exciting. So, you All know, right, Governor, thanks very much. Uh, thanks very much for this submitting to this random interrogation. And uh, Tom, let's good get, to see you again. Thank you. Good very to see much. you, Governor.
And thank you for joining us for our Friday Forum here at the City Club, here at the City Club with Governor Mike DeWine, the 70th governor of the state of Ohio. He's been interviewed, as you know, by retired journalist and City Club member Tom Barris. Our forum today is the annual Bolton Forum on National Politics, National Politics, which celebrates the lives of Chester Bolton, his wife Frances Payne Bolton, and their son Oliver Bolton. All three family members served in the U.S. House of Representatives, with Frances and Oliver serving simultaneously, making them the first and only mother-son pair to serve in Congress. We're grateful for the support of the Bolton family, which makes our forum possible. Thanks also to members, sponsors, and donors, and others who, who support our mission uh, to create conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. I'm Dan Malthrop. Stay strong. Stay healthy. Please get the vaccine, my friends. Our forum is now adjourned. For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org. Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.